As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This week on the Gary Hour. And then on a ticket it said arraignment Friday at 1 p.m. He's like, don't bail out because you have to get a lawyer, spend money, come back, and then who knows, they find you guilty anyway. He's like, just go to that arraignment, plead guilty. They'll count time served and let you out of here. Not a penny. And I'll be damned he was right. And that crowd that night was just really terrible. And they got offended at me somewhere like 10 minutes in. I had to do 45 minutes. It came apart 10, 15 minutes in, and I still did 47 minutes. 30 minutes of it was absolute. People walking out, people yelling. Whether it's Alaska or Georgia or New York, I do the set I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't go, well, this is a conservative crowd, so I'm going to change this, or this is a liberal crowd, I'm going to change. I, fuck that. I just like, this is what I want to do. G, 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 take me away. G, 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 take me today. G, G, Welcome to another episode of The Gary Hour. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This week, I talked to stand-up comedian Paul Hooper. Paul is a stand-up comedian that loves to travel. He's been all over the place most of the year. For years, he just tours and performs all over. So we talk a lot about that. And on a personal level, it was nice to talk to someone that I know who's spent a lot of time alone in a car traveling i did that a bunch as a musician it is hard but paul seems to love it so we're going to hear some road stories and more this episode is brought to you by future moments makers of mobile apps for content creation if you're a filmmaker a musician a podcaster go to the app store and search for future moments because they have an app 
that'll make your life easier and your production so much better. Okay, if you enjoy listening, check out the show notes. There's links to Paul's website and links to review this podcast. Do it. No. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. All right, Paul, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, man. You are hitting the road tomorrow again. Yeah. You've been a, you've been a stand-up comedian for what, 20, 22 years? 20, uh, 21 years this month. Maybe uh, next week, I think, 21 years next week. It'll be your 21-year anniversary. Yeah, and that's crazy. And you travel a lot. You've been on the road a lot, a lot, a lot. I travel. I don't travel as much as I used to. But I'm still do like 25 weeks a year at least. Mm-hmm. I think I did that last year. But I used to do 40, 49 weeks. I did in 2010, stuff like that. So that's that's a lot of weeks. Yeah, 40 plus weeks for a long time. Because there's 52 weeks in the year. You got that right. That's right. <laughs> exactly right. So that's, that's only three weeks at your home. That's it. I loved it though. In 2010, it didn't matter. It was great. I was living with a buddy and. So I was fresh off a breakup, and it was easy. And I wanted to be on the road, and I would see him a few days a month. We'd hang out. I rented a room from him, and then I took off again for two and a half, three weeks. Okay, yeah. There's a lot I want to talk to you about. I want to get into your writing process, how you started, yeah, and all that. But this this touring is something that I have experience with as well. But with music, touring alone? That's right, yeah. Alone. It is... Uh, a very unique journey spending that much time alone and then to top it off you're going into a town and you're performing for people and then you're getting back in your car and you're alone again i like it i'm twisted in a way a lot of people have problems with that yeah i have a lot of trouble with that like musicians and the comics that hate being on the road by themselves or they're stir crazy i'm not i think if you put me on the road for six months straight by myself i go crazy but two weeks by myself i'm fine i'm perfectly fine i'm I don't, wouldn't say I'm ever going to be content in life, but I'm pretty happy in a hotel room by myself. I'm not depressed ever. You don't do? Do you have a, a maximum? Because two weeks sounds bearable, but I found when I was doing solo touring, is like four weeks was total maximum where I'd go crazy. Four weeks is a lot. Yeah, it depends on how much. Also, what what is the travel like? If you go somewhere for five days, stay in the same hotel, do shows at the same place, then go to another place. If if it's but if you're getting up every other day and driving six to twelve hours, then mm. that changes everything. Your mood, you're exhausted. Yeah, that sort of sucks. And I did that hard road for a long time, where it was just like one nighters and drive five six hours each day to do bar shows that were just awful. And then, but the better clubs to do like three days at a club and then maybe attach a one nighter, then go to the next week early, mm-hmm. a day early before the show start and do another three or four days. I like that kind of schedule. Yeah. You find it easier when you're situated for a little bit. Yeah. You can settle out and get out of a car, out of an airplane. And then I'm in. And once I'm settled into a hotel, I don't know. The road gives me a sense of purpose. Cause it definitely, I'm there cause I have a show right? and I'm getting paid. And hotels seem to be more organized than my apartment, my home. Yeah. So I don't know. There's a little more structure to it. And I feel like, okay, it's fine. And I'm good. Those moments where I'm like, I have a show every night. So when I come back to the hotel, I'm not lonely. I'm just sort of tired. And I like the quiet. When I wake up the next day, then write or do whatever I have to do. Mm -hmm. And wander around a new city. Then take a nap, do another show. I like it. Yeah, you've tapped into a lot of the positive things. Those are the positive (laughs) things. You kind of like skipped over the negatives. The negatives, which is, I mean, I did the road back in the day when I was drinking and on drugs and stuff. Uh 
But I loved it then too. I mean, there were dark <laughs> moments. I love the road. Well, the sense of purpose is good, and it's uh, it makes it. Do you find it hard to travel now without a gig or anything? Like, why am I here? There's no sense of purpose. Yeah, I did that. Like, um, I don't take vacations for myself, and then, but I've spent time with my family. Sometimes my family will be like, they get a beach in South Carolina. I knew I was screwed up one time. I always tell people this example of like, I went to the beach with my family for a week, didn't have shows, just sat with my family, and then was just staring at the ocean, anxious, anxious all week. Anx- yeah, right. Anxious, and they weren't doing anything. They were fine. It was mm-hmm. just, they didn't cause it. I was just anxious. I couldn't settle down and relax looking at the ocean. Yeah. And then I drove. It's over. Vacation's over. I drove four hours straight to the airport, got in the uh, security line, and exhaled and felt like, <laughs> all right, I can go back to work. <laughs> It had like a sense of purpose. Like I know what the airport is when you get in the security lane. Like I'm going for I'm going forward some to do something right. like my work. When I'm just sitting, I'm like, I don't feel like I deserve the vacation or I haven't worked hard enough to really unwind or relax. I'm like, I still have to worry about things. So yeah, so you have to learn how to unwind. Yeah, it's hard. I'm getting a little bit better since that trip. That was a few years ago, and I I go down to the beach with my family, and I'm doing better. Yeah. Letting go for a couple of days, but I'm still in my head a lot. Mm-hmm. And then, but I've never taken a vacation for myself. The best I can do is go do a gig in a nice place and enjoy that. But yeah. I still have shows at night. Yeah, I always found it kind of like kind of irksome. You, I would drive for many hours, be alone, and you, you know you're talking in your head, so you th- you think you're talking and you don't realize it until you get out of the car. Then you actually right. speak out loud. You're like, yeah. whoa, my voice. That's what it sounds like. I know it throws you off. It's weird. You guys, your equilibrium's off. Mm-hmm. And to have those shows where you, I'm sure you did it, where you had to like get out of a car, you timed it wrong, something went wrong, and traffic or whatever, and you get out, you don't have time to go to the hotel, shower, you're just out of the car on stage. Yeah. Those days, those dizzying, like you can do it just to survive, but it's pretty bad. Yeah. Well, when I was doing it with music, I didn't really stay at hotels very much because I wasn't making enough to warrant the hotel. Okay. Because, you know, music is later, so I'd be done with the show at like one or two. So to get a hotel and have to check out at nine or 10 or yeah. maybe 11, it just wasn't worth it. That makes sense, I so guess. So I would either ask for a place to stay from a stranger or maybe I knew someone in the town or I would just sleep in my minivan at the oh, time. Uh, yeah, that's the hard road. That's definitely <laughs> the hard road. Because even as uh, I'm not, I've never been spoiled. I've done some bad gigs. I've stayed some awful hotels, but usually a comedy gig will give you a hotel. Mm-hmm. I've had to crash a few places. I never like crashing at people's houses. Like I never like that couch crashing thing. Yeah, why is that? I don't know what it is. It makes me anxious. It's like too much. Like you're there to do your work. And now not only do you have to warm up a crowd and just deal with the travel and the exhaustion, now you have new people. Yeah. And you have to be a guest in their home and you just don't have any energy left. And if they're comics sometimes, for Christ's sake, I mean, it's just like ransacked. They just got a German shepherd sleeping on the couch. You know what I mean? It's like just smoking weed mm-hmm. the whole time or they're hammered and they're drunk you gotta like you don't know what you're walking into or they think you're on the road you want a party all night yeah and you're like, like i've been in the car eight hours i just want to go to bed and they're just like doing drugs and like up to 4 a.m and it's filthy and you're like oh, i'm not gonna sleep well sleep three hours on that couch mm-hmm. and then but a hotel has always been i don't know it's sort of my sanctuary it's like I don't, I don't know i'm really twisted in a way that i i love the road <laughs> you you being in a hotel grounds you yes a nice hotel. That's why, I like, bands, I get it how you go. The road is hard the way you did it. Yeah. I don't buy it coming from fucking Metallica. No. The way, even if they're gone for three years, I don't. 
That tour cool. bus is real nice, and those hotels are nice, and you can fly your whole family to see you. Yeah. And you can always go, fuck this, I got two days off, I'm flying home. Yeah. All that's possible. It's possible in comedy. You know, it's possible for like famous comics too, right, but yeah. yeah, so I don't think that kind of road is hard. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're tired. I'm sure there's a lot of demands, but no, it's not the same as of sleeping in a van in Iowa on the side of a highway. That's really the hard road. Yeah. Like, yeah. But then it's also strange because you have this one kind of loneliness in the car. Then you get out and you perform and you're having a one-way dialogue, right. a one-way conversation with a bunch of people. Yeah, and then you might have small talk with random people. Usually, the same conversations you have with random people every night. Then you're back in your car. That's it, and go to the next thing. Yeah, it is funny how extreme and how fast it goes from all that noise or commotion or excitement to nothing. Yeah, to silence real it's fast. Like right when you shut that door, it goes zoom. Yep, just you again mm-hmm. for another twenty four hours. It's weird. Yeah, it's really it's a strange life. I mean, I saw I did from I started going on the road when I was like I started comedy when I was twenty two. I started going on the road. 24 25 a lot so 25 to 30 i was just on the road a ton so i really think it's like shaped me that was my like young adult years and that just became my reality and that's just i think i'm screwed up to this day because of it you've been raised by the road yeah i don't know if i told you this <laughs> the other <laughs> week we uh were talking but for the first time in maybe 17 18 years i slept in my own bed for a month straight every night of March of last year, I slept in my bed every night that month. That was the first time you've done it in 18 years. Yeah, couldn't stand it. Could not stand it. Yeah. I don't like it. I didn't like being home for 30 days or however many days are in March. I don't know. I was ready to go 14 days in. But you must know this feeling. When you're out and away from home, everything at home is happening. You know, all the relationships you have, they're progressing, they're moving forward. And, you know, as sad as it is, out of sight, out of mind. Yep. If you're not home, if you're not around, people just, they might think of you every once in a while, but you're not part of it. Right, you're drifting Yeah, you're somewhere dr- out there, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. It is one of those things. And some of this, I think, is like, I'm also an only child. I don't want to attribute it to that, but my family, I did, even when I was on the road, I got back home for the holidays and got that stuff, And but I've always been sort of okay with being alone, so... Some of it was like, the really ro- hard road stuff I did in between relationships, too. They were in between girlfriends. Right. Yeah, it could be really hard to maintain a relationship if you're leaving all the time. It's brutal. And I've had, I don't know if I had a relationship uh, in because of that specifically, but I've had, um, yes, yeah, definitely damaged a few and caused a lot of tension. Because there was one, I sobered up. I stopped drinking when I was like 30, almost 31. Within six months, I got a girlfriend and we were living together. Uh-huh. And so now I was trying to clean up my life. I feel like I was making up for lost time. I was lazy or uh, I fucked off a lot when I was drinking. I should have been more business-minded and ambitious. And so I was like, I got to make up for it. So she caught me right in that time mm-hmm. where I'm like, I got more shows on the road. I need to write more. I need to do this. And so I, we got an apartment together and I was just gone. I felt bad. It was. I yeah. still feel bad because I'm like, oh. But she did she know what she was signing up for? She did know. But then, you know, I was hard-headed at that time. I'm like, I lost a lot of time drinking and partying too much. So now I wouldn't turn down a gig. And she would ask me, like, keep September 10th week open. It's my friend's wedding. I'm like, I can't promise you that. Right, right. I mean, I just would, would not budge on it, which, you know, it's not fair. I mean, we got an apartment and, like, still the bo- boxes weren't unpacked. And I went to Aruba for two weeks. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and she for couldn't shows. fly down. She had to start a new job. And I'm in Aruba for two weeks while she's unpacking our apartment. That's how our relationship sort of started. So I'm like, uh, that's not going to work probably. Right. But that's your career. So you have a pretty good excuse because you're making yeah. money. Yeah. I have to do it. And then you try to do it where we were trying to do these things where I would be out for two or three weeks. And so I try to fly back in between when I had a three-day break. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm flying from... Green Bay, Wisconsin, back to North Carolina to have two and a half days at home. One day I'm asleep. Next day we have dinner, yeah. have sex, and then I leave the next day. And I just spent $300 to do that. Yeah. And that doesn't work either. So you're like, eventually, enough of those things, physical exhaustion, mental exhaustion, takes a toll. And then, I don't know if that's why we broke up, but we made it two or three years. And it's a so good that one. Yeah. That one, she's moved on. She's married. She's got kids. But also she's those, fine. those conversations where you're like, oh, I got a call, you know, and you, you call and you're talking and you're having that long distance phone conversation. It's like, hi, what's new? Yeah. Nothing. Same <laughs> yeah. old. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It does get awkward and it's weird. It's just you can't do it the same way. I think I could have a relationship now. I'm like, the way I go, if I went two weekends a month on the road, then you can do it. I think you can have a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two weekends not a month, definitely. Yeah, and if you're out three or four days, but like those twice a com- month, that's not bad. Yeah, you, you know, those phone conversations where you just feel the re- relationship straining. Oh, yeah, it's done. <laughs> awkward, long pause. Trying to FaceTime, yeah. Yeah. Trying to get through it, and it's just, no. It's still uh, 800 miles apart. It's still not there, and you're not going to be home anytime soon. You feel more comfortable alone driving down a highway? <laughs> yeah. You don't even feel like you have a girlfriend. It's not even about, like, still faithful. The whole time, I wasn't even thinking. I was faithful the whole time, but I was just on the road 40 weeks a year. I just obsessed with getting more gigs. Yeah. She just caught me at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. And then I felt bad, but, yeah, she's fine now. Like I said, she's happily married. <laughs> got kids. She didn't need to marry me. Right. I was just a blip. Yeah, well, you, you know? were 30, 31. Yeah, that was it. And so... The other ones. But now, I, I don't think... I don't do the... I can't physically do the road like I used to. I'm 43. Mm-hmm. I can't go drive around America 45 weeks a year physically. Why? You're think. just sitting there using a little muscle in your ankle. What? I know, but you do... I've been telling you, 2010, so I'm still relatively young, mid-30s. My sciatica was flared up. Uh-huh. Sharp pain from my ass to my foot. Oh, from lack of exercise. Just in a car all the time. Yeah. My left arm, my left shoulder is still screwed up. And I went to the doctor, and he's like, well, "Do you remember anything? Did you? What'd you do?" Mm-hmm. I'm like, "I don't. I didn't fall down unless I did it drunk years ago. But I think I'm left-handed, and I think I drove a car with my left hand for years, just sitting in a weird position. Uh-huh. I'm convinced it's ruined my shoulder. <laughs> the road the is ruined. The steering wheel. Because <laughs> I never rode. I never went to my right. I never drive with my right hand. I drive left-handed, sitting in that weird angle for just 10, 12 hours, right, over and over for 10, 15 years of your life, and you're like." It's yeah. got to take a toll. You have cruise control? You put it in cruise, cruise control for a little? It. I don't trust it. Yeah. I feel like I'll fall asleep. Mm-hmm, right. I need to have control of my feet on something, and my foot, my hands on something. Otherwise, I'm like, I just fall asleep. Yeah. I mean, how are you drinking on the road and doing that much solo touring? Oh, it was it was brutal. Some of it was Iron Man. Some of it, I only survived because I was one of my 20s. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that that time where you can get away with a lot of bullshit physically, because I would drink and do blow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then have to like I just be up till six a.m. Like oh I gotta leave town I gotta check out this hotel at eleven right and I'm up at six a.m. doing blow with people yeah and sometimes I would get in the car and I just make it 
and I wasn't eating much. Mm-hmm. I'd just get coffee and just drive another five hours. You ever have that thing where you start to fade off in the car, fall asleep? A little bit, yeah. There were a couple times where I had to, I wake up the Sunday morning, it's supposed to be like a travel day, and I just had to stay in the hotel another day. And mm-hmm. my family or whoever would be like, oh, what time are you getting in? And I'm like, I'm still in Dayton, Ohio. I right. just cannot. Yeah. And then make up some excuse, not like, hey, I did an eight ball last night. I can't come home. But if it was for a gig, you probably would have did it. Yeah, I would have done it for sure. But I'm like, okay, I don't really need to be home today. And I'm like, I shouldn't be in a car. So I just get the hotel another night, mm-hmm. waste money. I already wasted money partying. I waste more money on a hotel. Yeah. Do a lot of that. Yeah. Come limping home without any money. I did that a lot of times. Oh, uh, you just breaking even. Oh, yeah, it was terrible terrible i did that so many times in my 20s and then in my 30s i got a little bit better i yeah. sobered up and then that clears up so many things what what was there something that happened was there a bottom that made you sober up yeah it's like this I told it a bunch of times but i mean it, it was you know it crescendos and it starts but the downward spiral was like january of 06 to may of 2006 that's when it sort of i mean like clockwork the calendar changed mm-hmm. for 2006 and like january 1st started just everything got worse and more serious I got a DUI within a week, you know, of, you know, New Year's and I got a DUI and then I was like walking on bar tabs. I broke the window, sliding glass door out of the condo I was renting for my buddy. I was peeing the bed all the time. This was just weekly, every just two or three days. Just so wasted that you were a violent drunk? You were smashing stuff? No, I wasn't. I mean, I break shit, but it wasn't. That was just like, I thought the door was locked and my buddies wouldn't open it for me. And I threw a patio chair at it like, hey, open it. Right. Know, it's just like a plastic chair, yeah. but it caught it flush and shattered the whole window. Oh, my and then my buddy comes over and like, it was unlocked. You didn't, you idiot. <laughs> and I was renting it from one of my best friends and I had to call him. He wasn't there until I'm like, yeah, I just shattered this. Yeah. It's just a bunch of dumb shit like that. Walking on bar tabs, never had any money, piss in the bed, all that. And then I prank called 911. You prank called 911? That was my final, yeah, uh-huh. moment. What, what happened? What'd you do? I don't know because of blackout. I've heard the stories, but I said a bunch of crazy shit, threatened a bunch of crazy stuff, called from my cell phone. I know I got kicked out of a bar, right? And then I got kicked out by my friends were still inside. They sent a guy out, like, go, they stayed in drinking and they were like, sent one of them out, like, go check on him, make sure he's not running in traffic. And yeah. he came out and he's like, uh, he's just on his cell phone. It's fine. And then came back in. Next time they came out, there were like six police cars and. Yeah. They just straight up tracked you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I might have been like, come get me. I don't give a fuck at this <laughs> point. I was it was very like Wild West, I, trying to burn it all down, you know. I feel like but I don't have any memory, any recollection of what I said to them. Right. There were threats and crazy shit I said, so they took me to jail and I, I woke up with a ticket stuck to my face the next morning in, in the a cell? holding cell. Yeah, dried saliva and the citation of the ticket, pink ticket stuck <laughs> to my face. They just stuck it right on your face. I think I fell asleep on it and then my saliva was the <laughs> adhesive and then I, they give me a bag of food, I guess. I don't remember it, but it was smashed. There was a bologna sandwich and an apple smashed in a brown bag on uh-huh. the floor. There's no one else in the cell. And I think they put me in the cell because I was being belligerent. Where was this? Charlotte, my hometown. Okay, oh, hometown. Charlotte, nice. North Carolina. <laughs> That's where I got in all my trouble. Mm-hmm. I did dumb shit all over the map, but I never got arrested anywhere but my hometown. Yeah, that's a road thing. There's a magic that happens when you're on the road. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Like, it's like yeah. never before have I walked into a coffee shop and been like, oh, hey, what's going on? Just making friends. And like, oh, here, have this coffee for free. Yeah. Like, this weird stuff happens when you're on the road. There is something. And maybe you do have your guard up a little bit more or, you know. At home. Yeah, it's like, and then you come home. I don't know. 
and it just I really let my hair down, and I get caught so many times. DUI, my DUI was in Charlotte, North Carolina. These are all off days from the road on a Wednesday when I didn't <laughs> get arrested, and so... So I, the road was keeping you out of trouble. Yeah, really. I was still in trouble. I was getting away with it. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. I never got arrested. I never got pulled over. Mm-hmm. I can't even think of the times I got pulled over on the road, like by a cop. Never, A couple huh? times, but no real tickets. Yeah. Maybe a speeding ticket once in a while, but nothing major at all. Driving drunk? I was driving drunk for sure. A lot. For sure, yeah. And a lot of time, or I was riding with drunk people yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to drive drunk every night. I had enough sense to so I'm like, I'm going to get hammered tonight. Let's try to leave the car somewhere. But whoever I was with, they were just as bad as me. Right. That's the crew. That's Those are the people you gravitate towards. So was it the 911 call that was the final? It was. It was a final straw because I got out of jail. I spent two days in jail. Got out of jail. Never drank again. Two days? Why'd they hold you for two days? Two days. It was a misdemeanor. The charge is misuse of 911. And that's my, a misdemeanor. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. God. And yeah. then, <laughs> Jesus. And so I spent two days in jail, and I didn't know. I'd only been in jail for a DUI, so I wasn't that savvy with how it worked, with how to bond or a bail bondsman. I called a bail bondsman, and he asked me what it was. I remember it said seven fifty, but I know you only have to pay a percentage of it, ten percent or something. But I was like, I didn't know if I had that much money in my account. Seventy five bucks. I, dude, I didn't know if I, if I had three hundred dollars or zero dollars. And you didn't want time. to ask someone you knew. No, I didn't want to call my mom. Right. And wasn't refused to do that. I called the bail bondsman. He's like, I'm not coming down there for that. It's too low. Mm. And then some guy, another inmate, gave me this jailhouse legal advice. He's like, what? don't bail out. What are you doing? He's like, it's a misdemeanor. He's like, you haven't... Ar-. So I went on a Wednesday night, late on a Wednesday night, tipping into Thursday morning, like 1.30 in the morning, too. And then on a ticket, it said arraignment Friday at 1 p.m. He's like, don't bail out because you have to get a lawyer, spend money, come back, and then who knows? They find you guilty anyway. He's like, just go to that arraignment, plead guilty. They'll count time served and let you out of here. Not a penny. And I'll be damned. He was right. He was right. He was right. I was scared to do it, too. I'll bet. When when the judge was like, how do you plead? I was, I like mumbled because I was really nervous about it. I was like, guilty? Did you have a public defender? No. They do, they they, they do video arraignment. So what they do is they took all of us in there, whatever the charges were. I mean, no one was in for murder. It was all like DUIs and just assault and like, I mean. So you're still entitled to a lawyer, are you? I don't know. I guess you could, but no one did. Huh. And then, or I think you had a chance to say that, maybe. I don't remember how it went. They took us in a side room. They didn't take us to a courthouse. It was just a side room, assembly line style. And then there was a judge on a video screen. He was at the courthouse across the street. And they're just like, how do you plead? Mr. Thompson, how do you plead? Okay, go, next. And then uh, one of the guards is like, if he gives you a piece of paper, that's your next court date. If you don't get a piece of paper, that means you're getting released. And the judge is just at home in his underwear. (laughs) Just just sitting there. (laughs) Skyping it in. (laughs) Yeah. And he was just, I mean, I was like middle of the pack. And I was done in like 10 or 15 minutes. It's just like assembly line. Yeah. You guilty, innocent, what are you doing? Maybe they had a chance to ask for a lawyer. Or like, Did you get the sense that if you did ask for a lawyer, you were like a troublemaker? Maybe, yeah. I didn't even think of it. I was just like, if I bail out, I'll get a lawyer. But then I was like, I'm going to try this. He, I remember he goes, how do you plead, Mr. Hooper? I was like, yeah, guilty. I like mumbled it. And he's like, speak up. Yeah. And I'm like, guilty, your honor. And he's like, do not ever call 911 again. And then he didn't say anything. I'm like, yes, sir. He didn't say anything. I didn't like, I don't care if you're being murdered, raped. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do never call. Do not call. And it was like, 
all, by the way, all the inmates were in for the standard charges. DUIs, they were in for assault. Mm-hmm. You know, some guy punched his neighbor in an argument. Some people were in domestic right. violence type stuff. It was like a lot of drinking, really, trespassing. Then I was in for misuse of 911. So everybody sort of explain, discusses their charges, and they were all like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. No one understood what I was doing. I'm like, I don't know what I did. I don't remember. So I, I didn't get a piece of paper, and I just... they. They didn't tell me anything. He's just like, all right, do not call 911 ever again. And I just went and sat back in the jail cell. 911 is pretty powerful. My my passcode to open my phone for a while used to be 9111. Oh, man, no. And uh, one morning when I lived upstate, I just I was like half asleep. And I think I tried to open my phone. And then I'm sleeping. And it's like boom, 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 boom. Knocks on the front door. I walk down like, what's going on? I open the door. There's police. Yeah. And they're like, do you live here? I go, yeah. And I could tell that they want to come in, but I know like once you open the door, they can walk in. And I just, I just want to go back to bed. But uh, I was like, how'd they even find me? Then I put it together in my head. I must have dialed nine one one and fell asleep. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they they traced it to my phone. Do you have to explain it? You didn't open the door. Uh, I opened the main door, but I left the screen door okay. closed. And then I kind of just like opened it ajar and I gave them my ID and stuff. And they were definitely trying to just get in, get in and see what's going on. Yeah this maniac that's calling us in the middle of the night yeah i mean to their credit maybe they didn't believe me that i lived there but uh i definitely felt like they wanted to come in and look around anyway that's true you could have hit, been hit with misuse of 911 that's what it is i guess it's misuse of 911 what i got charged with is just people calling them for bullshit reasons yeah i didn't even think about that which i definitely called with a bullshit reason because i don't remember what the reason was other than i was upset yeah. With everyone. I wonder if you can get a cotton. It's probably late now, but you could have gotten a copy. My, my buddy told me this, another comedian friend, that he tried to get a copy of that 911 call for years. And they were like <laughs> giving him grief because they're like, no, you're not him. Right. It wasn't like I was looking for the tape. And then they finally told him, they're like, if it's not being used, if it's not an ongoing case or using a future case, we delete them. Mm. I don't know if they just told him that. And I was so relieved. He was trying to do it secretly. He's like, I was going to surprise you with it. I'm like, I don't. For your dude. birthday? Yeah. And like, I don't want to hear the monster on that phone because I don't know. It right. was like a demon because I don't remember any of it. And it was, I said enough bullshit to get me thrown in jail. So it's not going to be nice. Yeah. I'm not going to be a fan of it. Of do you, what do I you, hear. Do you call 911 to get your 911 call? <laughs> I don't know how he did it. I'm sure he emailed everyone. He's pretty tech savvy. I'm sure he spent, he hit every angle. And just was willing to pay money to get it, so, but so, they wouldn't give it to him. So that was your turning point. That was my turning point. Two, yeah, two days in jail. Two days in jail. I got out. I don't know how people do six months or five years because I was ready to kill myself. Yeah. at the thirty-hour mark. Were you alone in the cell? Uh, they put these thing like a pod. They called it in Charlotte, where it was like a bunch of cells lining sort of a circular room upstairs, downstairs cells that you could have to yourself. And when it was overflow, everybody just slept in the common area on benches. Is it, did you sleep in there? I, the first day I got a cell to myself, and then, you know, they, it's sort of not assigned to you. Right. It's just sort of whoever come, gets it. And, you know, and then after that, those were full. And the second day, I slept out in the floodlights, like mm-hmm. on a bench mm-hmm. near the guard. And you just sit out. You can't sleep. And then everybody's making noise. And Yeah, but yeah. it was pretty calm. Nothing crazy happened in there. It was just sort of... you nervous, or is there any, like... You know, bad jail people already. For my safety? No. I didn't feel like where I was, that wasn't going to go on. They were pretty, everybody was pretty calm, and the guards were pretty much on the top of it. Mm -hmm. If someone's talking, they're like, shut up. 
they just tell people to shut up or be quiet, right. and then they would be quiet. There were no fights. It didn't feel like anyone was ready to fight. You know, occasionally you get food, and someone would ask you for like something on your tray. It seems like a long time to hold you. It was forty-eight hours. Well, here's the thing: I probably got the arraignment thirty-six hours in. The hardest part of that was knowing I was going to be released, and then them not telling you when. I asked the other guy. I'm like, that gave me the advice. I'm like, when do we? When do I get out of here now? Right. Because you're and still he, innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. And I, well, I mean, I pled guilty, but he's like, time served. And he's like, you're going to be released. They didn't give you another court date, so you're getting released. And I'm like, how do we know when? He's like, that. there's a guard standing by a desk. And like, when that phone rings, that means someone's getting transferred or released. Mm. So it rang. <laughs> angel gets his wings. Fucking all day. <laughs> right. Like, when's mine? Oh, and I would get up. And they're like, Mr. Hooper, sit down. This yeah. is not you. Every time it rings. It's yeah. crazy. And I was just 12 hours. I got video arraignment was at 1 p.m. I got released at midnight. 11 hours. Every time a phone rang, I got up and I was like losing my fucking mind. Yeah. Because then you're like, I'm in a cage. Yeah. They're like, we're going to let you out of this cage today. Yeah. And then they just like it's a, a tease. It's very angstful. Oh, it's awful. And you know, I, I'm a smoker. I was a smoker at that time. And mm. so I couldn't, you can't smoke cigarettes. So there was like, I just want a cigarette so bad. I want fresh air. I want out of this cage. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it took forever. But so I, you were re rehabilitated. Yeah, it, it worked. <laughs> it worked like a charm on me. I'm yeah. like, fuck this, never again. I will not spend another day in jail in my life Yeah, if I can help it. And Scared I, straight. Got it, yeah, it absolutely worked. And I got out at midnight, and I haven't had a drop of alcohol since. I'm mm -hmm. like, that's it. I mean, there was part of me at that time where I was like, I'm going to get out and get a case of beer and blow some steam off. Right. But they let me sit there long enough to think about, like, if I do that, I'm going to be back in here soon. I'd already had a DUI. Now I'm prank called 911. I'm like, That's, I've been in jail twice in five months. Right. This, this pattern is getting real shitty. Yep. I'm about to be this person who just goes in and eventually does something serious, wrecks a car, you know, or does something stupid, and then is going to be in here for six months or five years. And I'm like, I don't want to be a piece of shit. So I was like, it was just enough. Yeah, because you're racking up the charges there. Huh? Racking up the, and luckily they were small enough that if I stopped, then I could still repair everything. Mm -hmm. And so I did. I'm like, fuck that, and that was done. You ever call nine one one and just thank them? No, I haven't called nine one one. I have. I did. I just called nine one one for the first time since then. You did? Why? There was a guy passed out in the street uh, near the bodega uh, in my neighborhood. Uh -huh. And I mean, he's like... In Queens, Queens New York? Queens. He's yeah. in Queens, and he's got his, like, I come out of the bodega. I didn't see him on the way in, on the way out. He's just, like, got his legs on the sidewalk, but his torso is, like, out on the street, like, on his back with a bag of Doritos. Oh and I'm like, God. okay, he's clearly drunk. But no one's doing anything. And I could tell the bodega owner, he doesn't do it. He's like, well, you can call if you want. And I'm like, okay, I, man. So I did. I called. I'm like, this guy's going to get run over by a car. Or yeah. he's going to choke on his own vomit. I can't have this. So I waited for the fire department and the ambulance to come. It you was did. fine. You saved that guy's life. I held him up. They're like, prop him up. Mm -hmm. You know, roll him on his side. So we did all that. And I waited. And then that was it. They picked him up. And that was it. There Good you go. Samaritan. Paying it forward. But I'm telling you, years ago, closer to when I did the 911 call, like three or four years afterwards, I'm telling you, one time I was in Milwaukee, I saw a car wreck where a car got flipped over. And I was in front of this apartment building. And then guy next to me there's a guy walking his dog he's like call 911 i'm like uh uh i'm like i think out of my phone's in the house i was i was like yeah i'm not calling because that was like three or four years after my mm -hmm. i was terrified to call 911 
I'll bet. For those first few years. And now I'm like, okay, I've done enough good time. Yeah. I'm a, you know upstanding citizen now. So I called 911 and it felt good. Nothing happened. You so, know, I helped someone. <laughs> but I was terrified it. to help anyone for a decade. All right. So um, I imagine most listeners by now have heard your southern accent. Is it, does it come through? Yeah, it comes through. Jesus. I thought so I'd shook it. You're, you're from North Carolina? Yeah, North Carolina. Still the South? Still the South, I guess. So yeah. uh, you, you grew up with, you know, familiarity with that world, but now you're living here in New York. Right. Different worlds, different cultures, different yeah. people, yeah. Uh, what's your experience being on the road performing pretty much the same set, I would imagine? Or your, similar, your same brand of comedy to many different cultures of the U.S.? I do the same set. I mean, not the same set. I do the set that I want to do no matter where. You know, if I, that's the way I do it. The English-speaking audiences, whether it's Alaska or Georgia or New York, I do the set I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't go, well, this is a conservative crowd, so I'm going to change this, or this is a liberal crowd, I'm going to change I, Fuck that. I just, like, this is what I want to do. They speak English. They should be able to get it. I mean, it. I'm stubborn to a fault. It costs me laughs sometimes. Does it ever cost you threats to your life? I, not really threats. Not, like, serious threats to your life. But I've gotten in trouble. I've had shitty shows in Birmingham. Just, mm-hmm. cata- just catastrophes. What ha- What happened? I did a show. The one I always remember in Birmingham, Alabama was like 2012. And by the way, I'd done this club for years and done fine there. But it wasn't an easy club. Mm-hmm. And it was, so I did it. I was like headlining two nights there. And the first night of it, a buddy of mine was featuring. There was a local host. And my buddy was featuring. And then I go up and close the show. But they weren't great. The, the host was terrible. He came out like singing and dancing. Oh, no. He killed though. Uh, which bad does, it's so bad <laughs> so bad he's got sound cues like this shit's killing yes and then my buddy that went up in the middle has like he did the road a ton he had his drinking jokes he had his standard down the middle pot joke like stuff he wasn't like that aggressive very non-threatening i mean just like and he had a tough time i'm like this is a fucking gonna be bad probably mm-hmm. and uh because he had short jokes. Because they, like they had a, no attention span. A comedy crowd not only has to find you funny, but they have to like you. Yeah, you know, if they don't I like never, you, yeah, it doesn't matter how funny you are. They're not going to be on board. I know. And that's always weird because I don't know. Maybe I've lost all perspective, but I think I can laugh at someone I don't like. I yeah. think I have a lot of times. There's comics I'd never want to meet or hang out with or have lunch with. <laughs> right. I think they're fucking hilarious. Yeah. But I think they're dickheads. You know, I mean, I'm like, that's funny though. Right. He's complete arrogant prick. I'm like, that's hilarious. Yeah. Just for this time I watch him, that's fine. I don't need to know him or spend Thanksgiving with him. But the audience, I guess, needs that. In Birmingham, I feel like, and this was one crowd there. I've had good crowds there, but it is like that part of the South is harder to do, I think. There's more ways you can go wrong on stage. Mm hmm. Because they're more religious, um, they're squeamish about so many different things, and then it's like, I, I feel like anything, you know, if you say God damn, you can say God damn all day long in New York, no one cares, but Jesus Christ, God damn, you say this too much. Really? That's, they'll... they'll... Yeah, they still lock up. I mean, this was 2012, but they still, yeah. I, there was a show before... Because you're using this, the Lord's name in vain? Using that... the Lord's name, they still buy into this bullshit. Uh-huh. And they will hold it against you. I mean, there was a show before this disaster show that I felt like I lost them somewhere. Not this bad, but I lost them. 
because I said Jesus Christ flippantly too much. Right. I was like, man, what's going? Like halfway, through, I was like, I, they liked me. Five minutes. I'm like, I just, I guess I said Jesus Christ one too many times. That's I, the only thing I could pinpoint. Yeah, but there also is something like you wear glasses. I don't know if you were wearing glasses. Not then, no. Because people could perceive you as, oh, who's this guy from New York with glasses trying to think he's more intelligent than us? Maybe. I mean, they would tell us that. The club manager at the time, this is years ago, would tell me that he tried to book New York comics. And I wasn't even a New York comic. I lived here, but I was from North Carolina. But New York comics would come down, and they would, that crowd would hear the accent and write them off immediately. Mm-hmm. Right. They didn't like any. There were so many different ways you could go wrong. And that crowd that night was just really terrible. And they got offended at me somewhere like 10 minutes in. I had to do 45 minutes. Oof. It came apart 10, 15 minutes in. And I still did 47 minutes. 30 minutes of it was absolute. People walking out, people yelling. People yelling at you. What do you do when they're yelling at you? You try to talk back, but this room was 400 seats. Wow. So it was like a small theater. And so there were people hackling from the back that you can't even see them. You right. don't even know which table, if you're talking to the right table. Right. And also, you can't hear them. You just hear muffled words. And so I was like, what? I'd like to think it was like I went and I fucking really stood my ground. But a lot of it would be if you... I hope there's no tape of it, but if there was a tape, it would be like, what? what? Right. Fuck you. What? what? I don't even know what you said. Is that the right table? Right. Meanwhile, people are like leaving. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to retrace where it went wrong in my set. I had a bit I did about, it was a bit, it was a story from my life. When I was six years old, this kid down the street uh, had talked me into bumping butts with him. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I opened that bit with like, I think I was molested. I'm not sure. But I'm pretty excited about it. So here's a story. Right there. Though, already. Like, yeah. Not liking it. And it's a four-minute story. I got through it. But I dropped the word molested a couple times in there. I wasn't molested, but I was sort of like, was I molested? I don't know. I'll tell you the story. There's too much that Birmingham can hate in that. Yeah. The word molested. It's the homosexuality involved. There's like there's so many things that they could just hate. In it, and they were confused. <laughs> and they did hate it. But I got through. They didn't boo me there. And then I had two bits about coffee. And that's where it really came apart. I think it finally, like, it settled in, like, the last bit. But I think they were offended by the butt-bumping bit. And then when I talked about coffee, they're just fucking bored. What was it? Is coffee just too elitist or they just don't care? I ha- The way I phrased this, in hindsight, I guess after the molested bit, they assumed I was gay. Because I had some bit of, like, I, if I order coffee... I want if a straight man makes my coffee, I won't drink it. I like I like a gay man or a woman over the age of fifty. They understand finesse and blending. Straight men are oh, just yeah. fucking cavemen. Yeah, they don't know the difference between sugar and Splenda, and all this. It's just this whole thing. But the way I phrased it up front, I guess they thought I was gay. Mm-hmm. Following that bit about the butt bumping, it was just too much for them to handle, and they were just a god awful crowd, just ignorant. And just stupid. And so, I mean, I don't say that about crowds that just don't get jokes, but I really feel like they were dumb. Yeah. It was a special group of just Those 400 crowds. fucking morons. I mean, there were probably 50 people that were great that were just sort of like, oh, we, oh, we don't know what's happening. Now, do you feel an urge to lash out at them? Yeah. But I didn't, I was so confused on stage, I didn't. I was sort of shell shocked. That's one where, and it was so big and unwinnable. Right. It just felt so alone. It was just completely out of control. It was too big, and there was no way to correct it. I mean, if one table's out of control, you can fix it. But it was like 10 tables yelling, 10 tables leaving. Mm -hmm. It's just an absolute calamity. Yeah. 
And I remember there's a guy in the front row who didn't didn't mind me. I don't think he laughed, but at some point he did that sort of thing where like dig out. He's like doing the shovel thing with his uh-huh. hand, like dig out. And I was talking to him, and I'm like, I didn't, there's nothing I have that will win these people back over. Like I'm saying this on the microphone. Yeah. And then I said, this didn't help my cause. This is where I'm stupid. At some point, I got really fed up. Instead of just telling them all to go fuck themselves, I'm like, okay, all right, listen. Here's a list of things that I put up my own ass in 37 years. And he's like, no, don't tell him that. And I right. listed that, and then that drove it. So there are, now that I play it back in my head, there were times where I made it worse. Yeah, yeah, you went the other way. Yeah. And like the feature, the guy I know, my buddy, he was selling merchandise as they walked out. He's like, I sold a ton of merchandise that night to these mm. people as they left. And I was still on stage. I'm like, you motherfucker. But that was it. And then I got off stage. I remember passing the MC. And I'm like, I hope I get fired. I went back in the green room. And the club manager comes down. He's like, the owner's on the phone. He wants to talk to you. Oof. So the owner, who I'd known or I'd worked for before, he was like, all right. I don't know. He's like, what are you doing walking all these people? I'm like, I don't know what to fucking tell you. I didn't do anything crazy. People are morons. I don't know what to tell you. He's like, okay. I had another night booked. Supposed to come back next night. He's like, if you come back tomorrow, you got to do different material. I'm like, I don't want to be here. I shouldn't be here. I don't want to be here. You said that. Yeah. And he's like, all right. If you want to leave, he's like, I'll pay you for tonight and half of tomorrow. I'm like, fair enough. I'll be out of the hotel in the morning. Wow, that's a pretty cool owner. Yeah, he was pretty cool about that. I mean, I'd had it like I felt like maybe a little bit of a credit line that I'd worked there ten years and everything had been fine. Mm-hmm. And now this, so he knew I just didn't blow in and lose my mind that something else was going on. But they also that club had had fired really good comics. Mm. There's a list of comics that I know that are really good that have been fired or quit midweek. Yeah, There's something very extreme about it. What club is that? It was a Stardom in Birmingham, Alabama. Okay, and it's still open, I assume. I don't know. I don't pay attention and sort of block it. But. Comedy is definitely subjective. It, well, here's the problem with it is is the a lot of these clubs started doing this. So they have celebrities. A room that big has a celebrity mm-hmm. on Friday, Saturday. I was there on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or some shit like that. So I'm headlining this Tuesday, Wednesday. Well, I can't sell 400 tickets in Birmingham, so they telemarket and give away free tickets. Uh-huh. But those free ticket crowds are already worse. Yeah. They're bad in Toledo, but in Birmingham, free ticket crowd is the absolute worst you can get because they just have no, they're not invested in the show. They don't give a fuck. They don't care about comedy, and they might be surprised by the two drink minimum. Two drink minimum, they're just in a bad mood. And if you don't dance or have sound cues, they are over. It's got to be so dumb. Lowest but, common denominator, yeah. and it's just. Uh, so you won't, you won't go hack like that? No. You absolutely not you won't do material from the 80s <laughs> fuck no no do it the stuff that you like and if it falls apart it falls apart i'm yeah. still proud that i did 47 minutes i'm happy i'm proud because people are like you quit i'm like i could have gone back the next night to get more money it would have been just as bad because i wasn't going to do anything different i don't have another 40 at that time it's not like you got another backup 45 minutes right. i'm not going to do stuff from five years before what about just crowd work I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk to them. I already hate them. And uh, I don't like doing that much crowd work anyway. And so I'm like, no. No. I'm so proud that I quit. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, most times it's not good to quit anything, but I'm like, fuck them. I'm not doing it. I don't want to be there. You know? Yeah. And you find someone, that whatever. Well, that kind of bomb can, like, scar you. Yeah, it did. I was in therapy a couple months later. <laughs> <laughs> or even, like, mess up your next bunch of shows. It didn't mess up that. I knew... I, I was worried about that, though. Yeah. So I had the next night off, and then, like, two days later, I went back. I had another show in South Carolina. 
and the show went well. Yeah. But yeah, for two days I did sort of go, did something flip in me? Did I am I still funny? Yeah. Can I still? Is it going to freak me out to go on stage again? And then uh, you get in front of a decent crowd, and it's all good. It's right. just right there, muscle memory, and you're like in it, and they like you, and they laugh, and it's the same jokes that they booed you with. Yeah. Two days, two nights before, and you're like, get a couple of those under your belt, and like that's it. Mm-hmm. But it did leave that one left more of a dent because I was like in therapy, but I like he's my therapist trying to ask me about like my family, and then I start bitching about Birmingham, and he's like. <laughs> He's like, no, what, let's talk about your childhood. You're like, but Birmingham a couple months ago. I wouldn't ago. let it go. I remember at some point, he's like, maybe you don't go back to Birmingham. I'm uh-huh. like, that's a good idea. Yeah. And I haven't. I haven't. But you must have known people like that growing up in North Carolina. What's that? Oh, those, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw. You know, like, real conservative, religious type. Yeah. I mean, I was raised in somewhat religious. There's conservative, like, religious family, but they um, weren't crazy. But I was raised Southern Baptist, but it, it didn't. It wasn't, like, scary Southern Baptist to me. Mm-hmm. Not super judgmental. No, I don't know. I come from, like, a real neurotic OCD sort of family that has just now sort of become self-aware that I didn't realize, like, my family's just very neurotic, very, like, cynical uh, the men and the women in the family. Southern right? Baptist Jews? I don't, I, you know, I don't I figure this out, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like my grandmother, who was a big influence on me, was this beautiful pessimist. I mean, doom and gloom and like fucking incredible stories. But it all ended in death. He was so morose. And then my mom's a worrywart, my aunt, my cousins, everybody. Everybody's got OCD. Everybody's checking door locks too much. Everybody's mm-hmm. just worried, sick, staring at the ocean. It's just all oh, this, that, the other. It's just all day, every fucking. It's just in, my in family. Like a, in a funny way or in a real just dark way? Both. Both. Sometimes yeah. we're a little more self-aware. Like my aunt was like, she did that thing at the beach. I was down there a few years ago. I look at her. She's just like sitting on the couch. The ocean is right beside her. She got a beachfront room and just sitting there, just staring at a wall. I'm like, "What is going on? What are you?" She's like, "I'm just worried, sick." I'm like, "What? You got it? You're in your 70s. You got to tell me it gets better." She's like, "It gets worse." <laughs> I'm like, just, oh, "I don't know." Did she say this like tongue in cheek with a thing? Uh, a little... She laughs at how ridiculous it is, but okay. she can't stop it. So they're sort of like, "I don't know what to do." This is so. It sounds like the comedic gene <laughs> is in your family. I guess so. They were great. I love my family. My family's awesome, but. I didn't realize how many members of my family were like that because my mom had always been neurotic. My grandmother was a special case, and then, the, but then my aunt. Then I started hearing about my cousin, and you realize like, oh yeah, this immediate family is. Really- so they're either they all became comedians or they committed suicide. Is that? No, they're still alive. They won't do that. I don't know because of a sin or they just like cowards. They still think life is precious uh-huh. and all those things. But yeah, my cousin is just like. He was like a big influence. He's sort of like my older brother in a way. He's like five years older than me, so I hung out with him a lot as a kid. And he's a maniac too. Like he just lives by himself, never married. And like he just recently, they were like, "What do you want for Christmas?" He's like, "Just give me paper towels." Paper towels. He's just like, "I don't want to shop for anything anymore. (laughs) Just give me the." He just is like, "I don't want to leave my house." So he's like, "I hate shopping for paper towels." Amazon Prime is right (laughs) up his alley. (laughs) I don't know if he's probably doesn't want anyone coming to his house knocking on the door. (laughs) Maniac. Mm -hmm. But I sort of respect it, and I love him for it. And I think, like, I tell stories about my grandmother on stage now because she, like, told me these really dark, dark stories and stuff of, like, she just told me randomly, like, uh, 
the one I bring up on stage is like she told me I used to love pickles that I was like addicted to pickles I would just eat a whole jar of pickles everybody had to get me off pickles and then she told me she's like you keep eating pickles that vinegar will dry out your blood and you'll die <laughs> she just told me that yeah. she told me if a dog howled more than three times in one day someone died nearby everything was you will die right that will kill you all day every day yeah and people are like that's terrible that she did that i'm like it's wonderful i haven't met anyone that severe since like i that was that's a character in my life that i wish i could meet yeah it's a bummer at times but it's like such a unique human being yeah, that to make would sure, say shit like that. Yeah, it makes you appreciate your life. Yeah, it's such original stuff, too. Yeah. She had multiple stories about rabid dogs. More than one rabid dog. To this day, I'm 43. I haven't uh, seen one rabid dog in my life. I don't know where the <laughs> fuck she was living. Right. There were rabid dogs getting shot. They were getting in the house. She's like, that one time a rabid dog. And then she'd tell me another story about a rabid dog. I'm like, how many rabid dogs? Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> so is, it, is, this your, how do you, is this your writing process? Are you just yeah. like you just throw ideas around and I mean, all right, if you're in the car for six hours right. and you're driving with your left hand yes. over the wheel. They're ruining my posture. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you talking out loud, working stuff out? I do that a lot in the car by myself. Yeah. The coffee buzz and the exhaustion sort of connect and then I I start writing. Yeah, I can do that because I like talking it out loud. Mm-hmm. I live with, I have two roommates here, so I don't get to do it at home. But I do it a lot in hotel rooms by myself. I mutter to myself, and then I like writing in the car, like talking it out. So you actually break that wall of thinking and speaking out loud, where you you will say these words and sentences out loud. Yeah, and when it's really good, it's almost like it is a show. You can hear it, because I'm fed up with, you know, usually you're connected to it, because I'm like fed up about something, and it clicks, and I just start talking out loud. And it doesn't matter that I'm just looking at down the road through a windshield that it's almost like no this is just like it's i'm on stage are you recording it i don't record it but i do write it down in my notes immediately each time and i'm trying to i'll say it a couple times and then i realize like oh now the moment's passed mm-hmm. i don't want to say it a third time so then i just start putting the notes on my phone like what was that line what was that line what was that line and then i put it bullet points as i drive in my phone and then try to get sit down and uh punch it up or I definitely always have to fix it, you know, mm. and tighten it up yep. and then try it on stage. But some of those are the jokes that have worked right out of the gate are the ones I've said half crazed in a car. Right. The midway point of a 12-hour drive. Those have been the ones that like spit out because like you're really in the moment and you're saying it. It's something about your brain, the exhaustion and the caffeine and I don't know, a little bit delirious. It works. And there's something about driving like you're on a highway and everything is just going over your shoulders yeah. right past you. It is. No dishes, no bills piling. It's just no, there's it's a just freedom going. to it. That's all you have to do is get to this place. It's like know? a very simple life. It is. In a way. That's all you have. Everything is already packed. It's in the back of the car. You can't do anything else but go forward. Yeah. All you have to do is get to the venue. Get to the venue and then worry about other things. But that's it. Like that's all your day is. Like that's tomorrow for me. That's the whole day is getting to this place. And I so, I sort of look forward. To it. I've been telling people I have a ten hour drive tomorrow, and I haven't made a ten hour drive in a lot a long time. So ten hours, ten hours, ten yeah. hours with my buddy. Mm. If nothing crazy goes wrong, you know, car doesn't break down or any stupid shit like that, then I, I'm sort of looking forward to it. Yeah. I know somewhere six hours in I'll be miserable, but I sort of like want to do it. Right mm-hmm. now, I'm excited to just drive out of the city. Yeah, it's almost like this is the problem soldiers have when they come back from war. Yeah, it's like that. You hear the story; they're, they'll be in the cereal aisle of a supermarket, and like, I don't want any of these. There's too many choices. I don't care. It's just 
yeah, you want something after you. Yeah, I don't know. if There's it's no exciting. sense of purpose. You're just no. like, it's very simple. You have to stay alive and you have to shoot the enemy. That's it. Man, I could see where well something that extreme. I could see where you could never adjust. Maybe back to normal life with what we do. It's like it's a little bit easier, but it's still. You think yeah. it's easier? So, sometimes I don't know. I'm twisted, but I do. I tell you, I feel better. There's something I love. I really do love. Like the last few weeks of my schedule too. Like I went. Where did I go? I was in Texas first of January. And then somewhere in the middle of January, I went to Colorado. Mm-hmm. I also get a lot of satisfaction of like when I'm in different places on the map. Like I don't go to the same region. If I right. go down south five times in a month, I get sort of bored. But if I go to Texas, then I go to Colorado. Then I come back to New York. Then I go to Florida. Mm-hmm. Then you go to like Portland. Then I'm get like real excited because I'm like, oh, my body has been like all over this map. Right. From two weeks ago, I was completely, I was 2,000 miles away. Now I'm here. I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Yeah. Of just going all over the place. And I love like dropping my bags in a hotel and then like just being comfortable and exploring wherever I'm at. Yeah. I love it. Just you like, find yourself more creative as far as writing when you're traveling? Yes. Yeah. And in a hotel, like alone in a hotel. And uh, yeah, caffeinated, always that. Once I settle in and I'm rested of like, yeah, that next day after the travel day is a good writing day, I think. Because mm-hmm. you're there, everything is set. You got shows, that's it. Then you got all this time during the day to do whatever I want. And like, that's when I write the best, I think. And no one ever, throughout all these odd towns and places you played, no one's ever been like, I'm going to kick your ass. Oh, yeah. I mean, people have threatened that. But uh, I don't know if they threatened to kill me. But yeah, they threatened to kill I've been slapped a couple times. I've had glasses been, thrown at you. Really? At On stage? Yeah. Someone threw a glass at you? I've had glasses thrown. There was this thing, my home club in Charlotte, thank God they don't do this shit anymore, is where they would like they would do like this dumbest idea ever. Uh-huh. All right. So when people like, you know, have black lights in the comedy club, so they got well, they the waitresses can't see, like they don't they want people to keep their voices down. So when they order drinks, they have this brilliant idea, they'll give them a, a piece of wood a block, part of a two-by-four, a little book, and they paint it pa- like pastel green so it gl- would glow. Right. And they like when they want a drink, they just stand it up on the table. You've given the fucking audience a weapon, right. a piece of wood. It's a piece of And a woman fired one of those at my head one night. And oh. I didn't even see it because you can't see for the spotlights, and it just whizzed by my head like a bullet and hit the backdrop. Wow. If it hit me in the eye, that would be it. Was she reacting to something you said? I'm sure. I said something inflammatory, but it still wasn't that bad. It never is that bad to me, but she, like, yeah, she was offended by something. Mm-hmm. And it was a fuck you moment. And she just, she had a pretty good arm and it just whizzed by my head. So what'd you do? I cursed her out, but then the staff was on her and threw her out. I think people couldn't believe it because it hit the backdrop pretty hard. Yeah. And, uh, so there's been those moments, and I've been slapped, and I've had glasses thrown at me, and uh, stuff like that. But I feel like that's just part of the road, you know. <laughs> I feel like that's part of. If you do these bad, that was a good club, but they had a bad idea arming the crowd with wood blocks. It's the dumbest idea ever. But usually the trouble would always come in those bar gigs, you know, like of being in Dothan, Alabama, mm-hmm. at a bar where people want to play pool and they don't care about a comedy show. Right, you just ambush them. Ambush show, yeah. And that's where the bad shit happens. Because those people, they just want to get in there and binge drink. And then they just throw a comedy show on them with some smart mouth guy on a microphone. Yeah. 
or even if they sit down to watch the show, they're just ready to fight. They don't care. You ever and, feel like you had to kind of escape out the back door? I don't know if that Birmingham, that show in Birmingham, I felt like, but the crowd, luckily, I'd walked them, so they were already gone, you know? <laughs> and I didn't have anybody to worry about. It was a very yeah. empty building by the end of it. <laughs> and so I felt safe going to my car. The parking lot was empty. It's kind of amazing that the owner just didn't pull you off stage at that point. Or he someone. wasn't there that night. The manager couldn't, wasn't just like, all right, just let's can this. I'm surprised they didn't. It was bad enough to do it at that point, but I knew the manager, and he was a friend, and then... Years later, he was still trying to find a way to get me to come down there. And I'm like, I don't think, we just don't need to do this. Right. I have no desire to go back. I might, he eventually quit, but he was always in my corner. Mm -hmm. He hated that it went down that way. He apologized later, like messaged me and like was like, I'm sorry that all happened. And like, you know, he was almost like these crowds have gotten out of hand. That's on the pretty Tuesday, cool. Wednesdays, you know? It could have gone the other way where they'd be like, I don't want to pay you. You walked my crowd. Yeah, I will give that credit to the club owner that he did pay me and did pay me half of the money the next night. So he did, like, yeah, the noble thing, and he's a good businessman, but it's just, you know, it's gotten away with, at that time, the Tuesday, Wednesdays were just unruly, yeah. unbearable crowds. And then, you know, if you, I'm sure if you opened, like I always heard that if you featured for a celebrity that weekend, then comedy fans would come out. Right. But not on the Wednesday, Thursdays and stuff like that, yeah. where they just they just wouldn't sit and be respectful or listen. They had no attention span, and yeah, if you didn't just, I mean, I, that's a pretty big room to fill on on a Tuesday in Birmingham, yeah. Alabama. Yeah, <laughs> you better be giving away tickets. I, would I know. So that was like the most traumatic set ever, I think. But I, overall, I think it still, I got some out of it, and I stayed on the road. And a few months later, you just, it's, you know, it's just one of those things. It didn't affect me that much, I don't think. But yeah. I'm, I'm probably still a little bitter about it. Still, like, yeah, pissed off at Birmingham. Want to go down and redeem yourself somehow. But I would go back, but never to that club again. Mm -hmm. unless Too, too traumatic. <laughs> too traumatic. Unless you somehow got a following and you could bring those people out, then I don't care. Right. I'm not haunted by it, but I'm not going to just go down there. Well, that's that's the big difference. Once you have a following your people come out no matter where you go. Right. So you might be in Birmingham, but it doesn't matter because they're Paul Hooper fans. They, they know They know your style of comedy. They know your jokes. They know your brand, whatever you want to call it. It's it a is. totally different world. Yeah, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I've never been able to do that. I mean, there's times, there's certain towns where a few people come out, like, the, you know, mm -hmm. specifically for you, my right. hometown and stuff like that, but never 400 people that just paid because you're in town. That would be amazing, other than doing shows with people who have followings like that, and those crowds are always better. Right. Even if you're not the guy, even if you open for that person, yeah, they're just better. They just have paid. The ticket price is usually pretty high, so they wanted to do it, and they've come out. Whoever they're a fan of is right. on stage. You've done they're shows more with David Tell, right? Yeah. yeah, and they're more respectful. I mean, there can always be a drunk person that just gets out of hand. But usually, overall, those crowds are like excited and yeah. really passionate about being there. And it's, uh, but up until that point, it's a fight all the way. You know I wonder I mean? if it gets a little sad in a sense that if you're drawing your crowd everywhere you go, your world becomes kind of homogenized. I wonder, but that'd be a good problem to have. I don't know. I fucking wish it. <laughs> right. I wish I could always... have that right now and take that for the rest of my life. I yeah. wouldn't care. Yeah. You know, it's just like I've done it the hard way long enough. And do, every night where you prove it, which I think is does keep you like good as a comic that you got to go up there with these people with their arms crossed. Yep. You can't be lazy. You can't be lazy. And so you do write more stuff and you write better stuff and you're you're ready to go at any moment and you can prove it. But, you know, 
it just it gets exhausting like the situation where you're like you can't win this crowd just doesn't even want to be at a comedy show you know where you're like that's you know how do you stay optimistic because when i did a lot of time on the road especially alone i got pretty jaded of people not everyone of course there's always like gems everywhere but in general i find like american culture pretty pretty depressing (laughs) yeah it can be sad it depends on what you look at you know it's I spend a lot of time in my hotel by myself. If it's a cool town, I'll go out and explore. But the thing, sad thing, I always find sports towns, like there was one time I was on the road, and I was like in Tallahassee, Florida one week. And every bar or restaurant I go into, they yell about a Florida State game. Yeah. And the next week I was in Lansing, and they were yelling about a Michigan State game. Yeah. And then the third town was another college town, and they were. I went to get – like carry out food and they were screaming at another game right and you're just, just like they're, you're all the same people all the same people except one's wearing red and gold the next week they're wearing green and white yeah and they're just fucking screaming and they're not on this team for their local team and when you travel and you go all these places you're like oh you are all the same yeah yelling about something that's meaningless you don't even know anyone on the team but it's and just screaming at 4 p.m in a bar but like that's their i'm like this is sad to me mm-hmm <clears throat> um, and they could be hating on the same people that you just saw yesterday hating on those people <laughs> yeah you're like you're actually kind of the same people yeah and I, you just travel town to town and everybody's team's the best or our town's the best and you're like yeah. it's really not it's really it's none regional. of these towns or tallahassee's not the best and lansing's not the best right. i can tell you a long way from it yep the north hates the south in so <laughs> many different places <laughs> and so it's just no, I, the, the place I like going, like I was in Colorado Springs, which is a sort of a, can be a conservative town, but it, the natural beauty of Colorado mm-hmm. is what I focus on. Like I just like, let, let me go to a park, let me go to the Garden of the Gods, let me go that see the mountains. That is a good road trick, getting some nature in. Nature in is the key. If yes. you're like, this town is conservative or weird or it, whatever the town is, you get out and see something like that because that that is the best stuff. Yeah, go to a park, find a tree, go hiking. Hike around, yeah. Get away from the people, Yeah. Get away from the Chili's restaurants and the yes. Chipotle's and get out. Those are the best day. I've done that in Anchorage, Alaska, doing Colorado Springs. It's a little harder to do like when you're in, uh, you know, if you're in Toledo, Ohio, I don't know what to tell you to see. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Well, because it eventually becomes like a cartoon backdrop. It just all starts repeating. Right. You know, you're like, oh, this looks exactly like where I was yesterday. Yeah. If you stay in the hotel... <clears throat> and eat at Subway every day, which I do sometimes. That's what I do in Subway. When I'm in Toledo, Ohio, I haven't been there in a while. That's what I do. I'm like, I'm spending a lot of time in the hotel room, and I'll just eat Subway, and then I'll do a show, and I'm coming back to the hotel room, and then I'm going to the airport, and that'll be that. That'll be yeah. Toledo for me. Yeah. But when I'm in Colorado Springs or somewhere like that, I'm out. I right. want to go out and see and walk around and breathe mountain air without being all corny about it, but that's what I love now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stuff like that. If I'm in Florida, I want to go to a beach. Yeah. Stuff like that. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. And, uh, yeah, and so that's, okay. that's your traveling. That you're, you're there, you're experiencing all this beauty and travel and adventure, but with purpose. Yes. And that's what I like to do. And I figured it out, you know, and I've seen enough. But I'm really grateful, like, of all the states and then the countries I've seen. I got to see a lot of cool shit that before I did comedy, I'd only been in three states. Now I've been in 42 states, maybe 10 countries. Did I see that you performed for the troops as well? I did that. Yeah, I've done that twice. Where was that? I did one in Japan, which, which was great. It was pretty mellow. And then I did, we did five countries in the Middle East in 2013. We did Bahrain. Qatar, Qatar, however they say it. Um, no one could really tell me which way it was. And then Oman, <laughs> Kuwait, and Djibouti, Africa. All right, what what was that like? It was a great trip, but exhausting. And uh, I went with three other comedians. And uh, I get the music side of it. This is the closest I've felt to being in a band because the schedule was pretty grueling for a comedian, for weak-ass comedian guys. For soldiers, this would be no problem. But right. we were like comedians, and we didn't realize, like, oh, we had all these flights we fly all day to get there. Then you got a show. Then they're like, all right, get up in the morning. We're flying to another base or another country. And they had activities for us every day at the base. Then you have like a nap. Then you do a show. Then they take you back to the airport. There was a lot of that for like 16 days. And uh, so we were starting to get grumpy. So I felt like it was four of us and one of us was always pissed. Right. Like, you know, always standing in the corner. So you start to get that band mentality. That band mentality. There was always someone at an airport that just walks off and stands in the corner pouting. Yeah. When they can't talk to anyone, don't talk to me now. There were always moments we each took turns being grumpy and, right. and hating someone. And you got inside jokes with each other. Yeah, and you just can't stand. And then you're whispering about the other. You're like, you know, someone's going to talk to him. <laughs> we can't have this. We got two more weeks of this. Yeah. You're trying to meet in groups away mm-hmm. from the, and the, It's like being married to several people at once. Oh, yeah. So I got it. But then I, my buddy and I, Matt, we were like, Really grumpy, getting towards the end of it, and like we got to calm down and like appreciate this. We're never coming to these countries again, probably as long as we live. We should appreciate it, and we started to, and it was great. Because I mean, you know, a lot of them weren't comfortable. You know, Djibouti, Africa was a hundred and something degrees. You're staying in like these weird little like trailers, like apartments that are broken up into com- sort of compartments. And you had air conditioning and stuff, but you know, you're on a military base, yeah. and it's like you know, I mean, this out. must change the whole context of your material. You know, I mean, you're talking to soldiers that are dealing with this every day. Yeah. What do you, and if you have a bit about 
bitching about Amazon or something like that. Sort of. Yeah, it does. It does change that because it did change the order. Like I say, I don't want to change my sets for anything. But over there, they like dirty because they're soldiers, like vulgar, anything sex. They love that the most. And then because they're just guys sitting over there, bored and horny. And uh, so you sit there. And then so that stuff would kill the hardest. But then... I had OCD stuff. I had a bunch at that time. I had a bunch of stuff about my OCD, like whether it's like checking door locks or whatever. My and they don't want to hear any of that shit. Yeah, of like, well, you can't check your door because yeah, that's like a luxury. You left your, you left your credit card. And yeah, I'm, get the fuck out of here. Those kinds of worries are a luxury. Yeah, they don't have a chance to be like that. So that nitpicky little subtle stuff yeah. out the window. Right. None of that was going to work. I mean, they didn't hate you for doing it, but they're just not going to laugh. They're just like, all right, yeah, who cares. But the other stuff, so it sort of changed your set, like the order you did things. I had a joke at the time that was like a joke, a bit that I put in the middle. It was about my ex-girlfriend. And she had left me, and then two months later, I got engaged to a Navy SEAL. And so it's that story, plus it just gets real dirty, like somewhere in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. So that became the closing bit on those military tours, Mm -hmm. because it's got everything that they want. It's like a Navy SEAL reference. And filth, filthy jokes. <laughs> it was fairly like brutal, and it was a funny joke to me that I really liked. So I had to move that to the closing spot. Right. So you did cater to the audience. Yeah, I like moved it. I mean, it just made sense. It's like other bits couldn't follow it, so I'm yeah. like, I moved it. I didn't change the bit. I didn't add any new bits. You'd make comments about being over there, at like up front, but it was pretty fun. It was like, you know, the only thing we could make fun of was we were supposed to be clean, but the guy that took us over there, Sean, Sean Kent. He set it up and brought us along. He was like, we're not being clean because that's not what they want. So we sort of defied the orders and then uh, just went dirty. And a couple times you got reprimanded because you're not supposed to talk about... You couldn't push it too much with sex stuff. Um, and then you couldn't talk about Islam and you couldn't make fun of the President of the United States, something like that. You couldn't like go too hard on any of that stuff. Yeah. And so that was fine. And then a couple of times I think it like crossed. Someone said something dirty on stage. Someone did. I don't. It wasn't me. I would own up to it. And the inspector general of a base got mad. And then the guys, the security guys that would like shuttle us around all the time had to pass the news to us of like, hey, you guys got to reel it in mm-hmm. and be a little bit cleaner tonight. But he didn't and, get his mic cut or anything like that. No. And then Sean's like, fuck that. We're not being clean. I'll put a disclaimer mm-hmm. on the show when I get up there to host it. And then they can just leave if they want to leave. I'm like, all right, he brought us what he says goes, I guess. And so we just did it that way and it was fine. Yeah. And the shows were fun. It was fun. But yeah, and the travel was like crazy. That was the best because I'll never get to go to those places. So there was like some really cool moments of like, the, the one I remember is we stay in like compartment in Oman, which Oman's next to Yemen. And we're way out in the desert. Like we flew into a, a city, Salala, Oman. And then they just drove us an hour out into the desert, the middle of nowhere. You know, you get off of these bases and they like get off the van and then they make you stand in a bunker while they check for bombs under the van. They take mirrors under the van. You weren't scared for your life at all? It's just like, oh, this is precautionary. I don't think. Yeah. But because they took it off the base, every time a vehicle that went off the base, they got to check it. Mm-hmm. So the MPs would take mirrors and you go stay in, in a concrete bunker while they check it. And they're like, all right, it's clear. Get back on. Now you're on the base, but there were only a few hundred people on this base. And we sat out there for a couple of days and they put us in little apartments, little compartments. That's what I, you have a single bed, an air conditioner, and a desk. And so we were all like lined up in these different compartments, but they had a communal bathroom, which was a trailer 
Mm-hmm. And I guess because the sand was too or the ground was too hard to dig into, they didn't have like porta potties. The trailer was like elevated, and then everything, the showers and the bathrooms were there. So you had to like a f- walk. I don't know, hundred feet to go to the bathroom. Somewhere in the middle of the night, I had to piss, and I was got up in my pajamas and shuffled across in my flip flops the desert to go pee. And I like <laughs> caught myself. No one was out on the base, and I'm like, I was going to pee in my pajamas in Oman. Yeah. And I like looked at the sky. I'm like, I don't. Why am I here? Yeah. I'm like by Yemen in my pajamas. Right. In the middle of the night, going to pee. It was like this really cool moment. It was like, a good I'll, moment? It, it was a great like, moment. It didn't make you question your whole life, all your life choices. It was an amazing <laughs> moment. I'm like, I got to do this because of comedy, and I'm just in a part of the world. I will never be here ever again. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, it made me laugh, and I'm wearing my pajamas that I wear at home and my flip-flops, right. just shuffling like an old man across the desert yeah. to go pee at 3 a.m. <laughs> and it's so quiet. And you're there entertaining the troops, which yeah, is cool. Yeah, it was really cool. So there were some moments like that. I'm very grateful I got to do it. And all the guys, like all these people, all the soldiers were like really cool and uh, nice and fun to talk to. But yeah, I would do another one. I haven't really tried to, but I would totally do another one. And mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, that life experience, that travel experience, I mean, there's nothing like that. I'm yeah. really happy. And that's the trip, you know, when I start telling stories, you come back to that. like that's Because I can go to Ohio again. I'm not going to Oman or... Djibouti, right. Africa, yeah. probably ever again in my life. You do any material about that trip? I think I tried to do a couple things. I don't remember what it was. That was 2013. So if I did something, I didn't do it for long. Mm-hmm. Maybe when I first got back, I really wanted to talk about it. But sometimes it's such a... People don't want to hear about it unless you got an amazing story. I mean, it's almost like you recap the story. I mean, I just talk about it on podcasts or with my friends, but I never got a great joke out of the trip. Mm-hmm. You know, or I didn't get a good bit out of it. But I do always think about that trip. Of like, and we were irritable the whole time. But I was like, oh, that was mm-hmm. pretty yeah. great. I mean, all this traveling is kind of like you become it. it. It becomes part of you, you know. Yeah, and they were like, there were flights over there at one a.m. too. Their commercial airlines in the Middle East fly at like one, two in the morning. So a lot mm-hmm. of them were like, do the show, take a nap, do whatever you want to do, meet us downstairs at one a.m., go to the airport again. I'm like, all right, and then we get on a plane. You wake up in a different country. You got to go through customs and you're in the Middle East. So it's like not, you don't know where you landed, whether it's friendly or not. Sometimes we got, it was super nice. And so other times that we were getting glared at. Yeah. Well, it's good you remember all this stuff. You ever, do you have all your tour dates written out somewhere where you could just kind of glance through them all and be like, wow, I don't remember that. Don't remember that. Don't remember that. No, but I go through like, I have old day planners mm-hmm. and stuff for my taxes and stuff. I go through occasionally, they're in a file cabinet somewhere. Uh, at my family's place, and I've gone through those sometimes, and I'm like, oh, so where was that, 2012? I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah it does come like, back to me. If you do remember, there's like a little tiny thing that happened. Yeah, he's like, oh, that's right. I remember thinking that. I remember that. I can remember all that. And then the road stuff, I can remember the trips, the drives. Because, you know, your mileage is written down. I have all this stuff for taxes, and you like, uh-huh. you see a 700-mile drive. I'll see it like, I made a 700-mile drive in 2012. Then it comes back. I'm like, I remember that day. You do a lot of audiobooks. Yeah. A lot of audiobooks. No, I never do audiobooks. Yeah, you don't do audiobooks. No, I listen to the radio, then I turn it off for two hours and it's silence. Then I go back to music Mm -hmm. and then I go silence again. I don't even do phone calls much. Wow. On the road. I've started doing the thing where there's no sound. A lot of times I'll drive hours with silence, which gets bad. Yeah. Then I'm like, throw some water on my face. Next time I stop and listen to some music, I'll do that. But Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not what it was. Audiobooks yeah. saved my life. <laughs> It'd be great. Yeah, I should do it. I should totally do it and make more of the time. But but also it takes away creativity, I think. Yeah. 
You know? Just listen to someone else's Creativity story. Creativity needs boredom. But I think it's good to listen to something like that. It just really keeps you, uh, you know, anything that passes that time. Because there's a point in every drive or something. I, the six-hour mark is my is the time for me where I start to mm -hmm. get, it's just, I'm tired and over it. And so I'm usually good four or five hours into a drive. I'm excited to be on yeah. the road, and then it wears off quickly. And then you're like, you need anything that will help you limp to the end. And uh, you are supporting yourself with comedy for many years now, right? Yeah. It's been a hard one. It's been a hard. Yeah. It's, yeah. But Every year is terrifying. Yeah, because you don't know what's coming. No. You don't know what's coming, and you feel like the bomb's going to fall out. And comedy has changed, too, where it is more difficult to do the road. Why is that? I think more comedians, more comedians, but you know, the business has changed in a way of like, from what I know of like the clubs, I can see it happening is what I did in 2010 was 2019. I don't even think it's that long. 2012, I was still on the road a ton. The clubs I work in the clubs that I used to work 10 years ago that were Wednesday through Sundays are now Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. So by what, so take that you're in a club They've removed the Wednesday show. They've removed the Sunday show. You're now lost hundreds of dollars right. off that week. That's happened across the country. That's not even getting into clubs that have closed permanently. Well, I thought comedy was on. It was experiencing a boom. It's maybe an experience of. I don't. When they say boom, it's not a boom for. I don't know who it's a boom for, honestly. Yeah, more comedians, less shows. <laughs> I don't know who it's a boom for. Of like. You know, maybe it makes the free shows better, but it's not helping anyone get paid. Whatever. I don't think there was ever a middle class. I was as close as you get, like, sometimes to where, like, I feel like it was, like, you make no money or you make a ton of money in comedy. Right. But I wrote it where I made a living, a decent middle class living for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is shrinking, not just for me, for everyone. And you can see it by people that open micers that keep their day jobs for 10 years. Right. And they can be really great comedians. They're not open micers. They grow out of it, but they can't get on the road. Yeah. And then all the famous people are doing the road. And then, you know, people that have a ton of TV credits are doing the road hard. Mm -hmm. But anything short of that has disappeared. A lot of people that I know from the road that I used to do 10 years ago are now on cruise ships because club money is not going to pay their bills. So they're doing cruise ships for big checks, but that's still bad. You're on a cruise ship. Yeah. But the club money is dried up. You used to be able to, like, if you're willing to get in a car or get on a plane in 2003, 2005, you, and you had a good reputation and you worked hard to get in new clubs, you could have 40 weeks of work if you were a really good comic. You were just you could do that. You could pound away on the road. And you could make a living. You weren't going to get rich, but you could make a living. I don't think that's a reality now. If you told me, like, I couldn't book 40 weeks of comedy this year on the road. I couldn't. Not good comedy, not right. good clubs. I mean, I could just slap together some one-night things and not make money on some stuff, but not like I did 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's me still working on getting in new clubs, me still being in the clubs I was in. But, you know, I think weeks have shrunk. Clubs have also, you know, I didn't start in the heyday of comedy in the 80s. I started in 1998, which was a dead time in comedy, but I remember the Atlanta Punchline would pay, was a Tuesday through Sunday, and I was a host. And this is not great money, but when you're like an open micer and compared to today's standards, they pay me four fifty to host the week. Nine mm -hmm. shows, fifty dollars a set. You got free food, free drinks. Get drunk if you want. You stayed in the same hotel as the celebrity mm -hmm. that was headlining. That shit is gone. Not just for that club, but they started using local MCs. Now they use local features. Right. Now they bring it. The celebrity is the only person getting the hotel and the money. 
I'm sure they, you know, I'm not just saying about that club, but so they drop the hotels, they drop what the comics, the opening comics are getting paid. All those budgets shrink, yeah, which I think makes the shows worse. And uh, because, yeah, even if it is someone paying to see so-and-so, there's still these support acts or the opening acts are good. To, it sets it up for them, and it's, it makes it a higher quality show. But, you know, club owners don't see that. There's like bottom line, and I feel like they can, they're probably still right. They're like, oh, we'll make enough money. I mean, that kind of does if coincide the, with the general industries of most industries. You know, companies aren't hiring. They're using temp people. Yeah. They're outsourcing, just cutting cutting their expenses wherever they can yeah they cut it and i I mean i think it's hurt the product but i I look at it sometimes from i've never owned a club but i'm like these people are club owners still make enough money and if the two comics that go up first flounder and the celebrity brings it home what do they care they made a pile of money and save some even more money than they would if the two comics just crush up front and it's like you know It'd be Maybe better to shave five hundred off that show and keep it for yourself, is the way they think. I think. Yeah, you know, and they they're like, care. no one remembers those first two comics anyway, and that they're paying to see so and so. And I don't want to, you know, they can't drink if they're laughing. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Let's just booze, booze, booze. <laughs> get whoever's headlining out of that green room. Get them up here. They cash these checks. I wonder if there money. is something to that. If you're bored, you will drink more. Maybe you I don't know. know. If you're having a great There's time. You're laughing it, it up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's like in a sad place because I think there should be somewhat of a middle class in comedy where you shouldn't have to be famous to make a living. Yeah. I think you should be have to prove yourself as a comic mm-hmm. that you can feature or you can close and you're solid and you can do any, you know, city in the country and you have to earn that. And that's what you had to do 10 years ago. And uh, that's shrunk. Now it's like be an open micer until you get famous. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's just... That's it. Yeah. You go and get a bunch of TV credits while you have a day job, and then you learn to go on the road, which is crazy. Yeah. Some people can pull it off that are extremely talented. Other people, it's like, it's there should be some time in between of like, go on the road and then figure out how to do it there. Yeah. And also try to get TV credits and start a podcast or do whatever you need to do or write scripts. But I feel like that part of it's missing now. And I don't know if that's going to get any better, honestly. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be better. So it's like, yeah, I have to get more creative each year. Yeah. Of how booking is harder. It's weird. You would think this far in, you're like, okay, you'd have these relationships, but also this far in. Yeah. Also, yeah, bookers change and all club owners just go, I'm selling the club. I'm done with this. Yep. And they disappear. So you're like, I got to start over in that town. Mm -hmm. Whoever bought the club, whatever new maniac owns that club. Always a maniac owning the club. Usually, (laughs) usually maniacs. Usually, (laughs) there's, there's some great stable, there's a few stable. Good people, you know, good people, but there's a lot of maniacs. Yeah, it's you. I think you must have to be to own a venue. I don't know. To own a bar, they love owning bars, but you know, the best, the best are. But it's like you know, an older club owner sometimes too. You think you like they were comedy fans in the 80s or 90s. Now they're over it. Right. 2019, they're not as excited to watch that show anymore. Mm -hmm. Or they also don't want to pay attention to who's like doing good work. Because they're like 30 years in, they're fucking over it. Right. So it's hard to get the attention of people that have been in it 25 years watching comedy. And maybe they were excited in 1992, but this is 2019. They do not want to see another tape. I mean, maybe it's something to do with culture, too, where there's so much stimulation out there. Yeah. You know, it's really hard to find anyone get bored. If someone's bored, they've got their phone out. Right. You know, within within five seconds. Yeah, I think we're fighting all of that. Yeah. So, um, 
I think it'd still be done, but I think we all have to get like pretty creative mm -hmm. and do it our own. So I'm still sort of lost in this whole thing. But luckily, you've got ten hour drive to figure this all out. Ten hour drive, <laughs> figure it out. And I'm, and I'm telling you what, I'm excited for it. I'm excited. Dude, I go to the mountain in West Virginia, ski resort. I'm excited to be on that mountain for five days. Yeah. Do shows. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I like. The whole That whole experience is like, you know, pretty priceless. It's pretty great to do that. And like, that's the best part of it. And for all this, I don't want to be like all doom and gloom. Yeah. I feel like I'm channeling my grandmother. Like grandma. <laughs> I do. I know. She's still in me. But it's, I do enjoy the time on stage more now. That's mm. what I'm like. The business has gotten harder, but the time on stage this far in is more enjoyable. Mm. And like, uh, I do like getting up there more. Yeah. I hate, you know, the business side, but I, I still want to be in it. I still uh, really love it. It's just, you know. Yeah. It's nerve wracking. It's yeah. just like. But you got flown to the Bahamas. You got to go to the Bahamas <laughs> once a year. I'm going again in November. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm going to post a lot of pics that drive any followers or friends away. <laughs> How you like that winter, New Yorkers? <laughs> I know. People really hated that one. Yeah. A sunburned photo and just like making fun of people in New York. People yeah. just still bring it up. I did that at a club owner. I didn't know how many people saw that, right? And then I tried to book a week with club owner in Houston. I'm like, hey, you know, book something. Or when are you? How far out are you looking? He's like, you think you can keep your shirt on? Uh, i'm like yeah listen man if you want to see paul hooper topless check out his facebook <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can find it there i did it to be obnoxious but i didn't realize how much uh yeah traction or how many eyes would see it because you know we post all this shit all the time and yeah. you're like you get some things that are big and other things you're like 30 people like it and you're like oh no one saw that but like there's another hundred that saw it that just didn't hit like and totally. even or, a lot of voyeurs out there there's a lot of voyeurs <laughs> and a lot of with something like that and like, oh, it really goes a long way. Mm -hmm. I see. Too you bad boys. it's not my comedy, and it's just a shitty photo of me at the beach. That yeah, really woke everyone up. But mm -hmm. it takes that sometimes to shock people awake. Yeah, cool, but, man. Exciting. We'll put your uh, website in your in the show notes. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, please. And uh, plug these things. Absolutely. Uh, what's next besides more traveling? I'm doing the road for the next couple of weeks, and then I'm gonna be I'm gonna be in New York. I'm gonna be home a lot in March and April. You are okay doing shows, I imagine. Yeah, doing shows, trying to do as many spots as I can. Probably mm -hmm. losing my mind. I'm gonna be here a lot. So by the end of March, <laughs> I'll be really antsy, ready to get out. But nice. I'm gonna be here. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for talking to me, man. Oh, thanks for having me. Man.